1: hobby of mine. Well, well, actually, it's a little more than just a hobby.
4: Reader's
0: Digest is considering publishing two of my jokes. Really?
3: Yeah. From Hollywood, it's time now for... $90.
2: Leave the
5: gun. Take
3: the cannoli. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting.
2: Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This time, it's a detective adventure with a life in your hands, starring Carlton Cadell. Then, it's part one of the Jack Benny program with special guest, Alan Young. But first, let me say hello to my co host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hey,
1: Carl.
6: And
2: look who's over there, Mike Estella. Here I am. Wow. Man, it's good to see you both. Thank you, you too. too. Ready for some classic radio?
0: Sure.
2: We've never played an episode of A Life in Your Hands. This is the first time we're doing that. It was a detective adventure series, came to radio in 1949. It was created by Earl Stanley Gardner, the same person who created Perry Mason. A Life in Your Hands presented both sides of a murder case. The truth seeker was Jonathan Kegg. An attorney and amateur detective, he would cross-examine witnesses of both sides to crack a case. It was sponsored by Rally Cigarettes, and only 19 episodes were ever produced. It was heard on NBC. We have one of those 19 episodes for you now. This is from August 29, 1950. It's called A Judge is Shot. This stars Carlton Cadell. Here's part one of A Life in Your Hands.
3: Earl Stanley Gardner's A Life. In
1: your hands. Was the window open? Was that check forged? Did you hear the shot? Listen while we place a life in your hands. You never know when you step from the safety of your home, when you may witness a violent death, and be called upon to testify as to what you saw and heard, and suddenly find yourself with a life in your hands. Murder is a dark enigma that strikes fear into the heart of man. Strange, baffling, mysterious. But the darkest crime one man can invent, another man can unravel. Such a man is Jonathan Kegg, created by Earl Stanley Gardner, the world's most popular writer of mysteries. Creator of Perry Mason, Doug Selby, and many other outstanding characters. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jonathan Kegg. Good evening. There have been many murderers who would have gone scot-free if it had not been for the testimony of an innocent bystander, a role in which any of us might be cast at any time. Even now, somewhere in the city, there may be a crime in the making. Good night, Mason. Good night, sir. Miss Pamela.
7: Ah, Mason is the perfect butler. A wonderful dinner, good coffee in the study, and this swell brandy. How much of this Napoleon brandy have you left, Uncle Edwin?
1: Not much more, I'm afraid. I want to have a little talk with you, Pam.
7: Oh, dear. You're going to be the heavy guardian again. Please don't, Uncle. Since you're
1: quite of age, I'm no longer your guardian.
7: Well, guardian of my money, then.
1: That was your father's wish. Pam... I got my bank statement and canceled checks today. Really? There was a check for a $1,000 that had my signature. Only I never signed it.
7: Sounds like someone's been up to some skullduggery, Uncle.
1: There isn't any question about it, Pam. The signature is forged. And you did it. The best handwriting expert in the country has assured me of that.
7: So now I'm a forger.
1: Pam, why do you do things like this? Do you realize you could be put in jail for what you did?
7: Oh, you wouldn't do that. Not to your niece.
1: No, you're right, Pam. I wouldn't do that.
7: Well, then why all the fuss? Let's just forget about that check.
1: Oh, no. No, it won't be that easy, young lady. I'm going to take that money out of your allowance. You're supposed to get 500 a month, but you get nothing till the 1000 is repaid.
7: You mean I, I don't get my allowance for two months?
1: That's right.
7: But, Uncle Edwin, you can't do that. I... I've got to have that money. I've just got to.
1: I'm sorry, Pam, but I have to do what I think is right.
7: No. No, you can't. I need that money.
1: Yeah, yeah. What's all this? Why do you need the money so desperate?
7: Never mind. I need it. You want me to be killed?
1: Killed? What on earth are you talking about, Pamela?
7: I've got to have my allowance. They'll kill me if I don't pay.
1: Stop it. Don't carry on that way. Who will kill you? What do you have to pay?
0: Don't ask me. I can't tell you. You
1: tell me what this is all about, but I, I won't give you another cent, young woman.
6: I, I owed it to Mike Kelly at
7: the Shamrock.
1: The Shamrock? <laughs> Kelly?
8: What did you owe him for?
7: I, I lost it at Roulette, and I still owe him more.
8: Gambling? How did you get into a place
1: like that? My own niece... How did you get started in a place like that? Tell me.
6: I didn't mean to. Mason took me there.
1: Mason? Well, we'll see about this. What are you doing? Ringing for Mason. I'm going to get to the bottom of this, right now.
7: Oh, there's nothing to get to the bottom of, Uncle Edwin. I was a little fool, I guess. I played and I lost. I had to have the thousand to pay up.
6: And I still need another thousand.
1: Well, you'll not get it from me. I've gone along with you as far as I intend to. You can get out of this mess the best way you can. You rang, sir? I certainly did. Come in here and close that door. Yes, sir. What is it? Mason, you're still on parole, aren't you? Yes, Judge. I gave you a second chance when you were released. Did I not? Yes, Judge, and I'll always be grateful, too. Grateful? Grateful? How dare you use a word like that to me? You don't know what it means. Now, Judge... Fine sense of gratitude you've got. I pick you up out of the gutter, feed you, clothe you, give you a job. And how do you repay me? By taking my niece to a gambling house. Judge, I couldn't help it. She wanted to gamble. I took her where I could keep an eye on her so she wouldn't get into trouble. Wouldn't get into trouble. What do you mean? Where you could keep an eye on her. What's your connection with the shamrock? Well, I...
7: I... He runs the dice table on his nights off, Uncle. Why, That'll you... do.
1: So oh, that's the story. Mason, I'm through with you. You've deliberately used me as a cover-up for illegal activities. You violated your parole, and you're going back to jail where you belong. Oh,
6: wait a minute. Get I...
1: out of here. I don't want you in the same room with me. I'll take care of you in the morning, sir. Come on, get out! You'll be sorry for this.
8: You won't get away with it.
1: As for you, young woman, your allowance is stopped. If you need money, go get a job. Under the terms of your father's will, I don't have to give you a penny until you're 30, and that's when you'll get it, not before.
7: Uncle Edwin, you you can't mean that. That's seven years. I
1: can and do mean exactly that. You've had your last chance. Oh, you get out, too. Leave me alone.
7: You can't do this to me. I won't let you. I don't know what I can do to stop you, but... But I'll find a
0: way.
1: Oh, uh, good evening, Judge. Oh, Philip. Come in. Where's Smokey tonight? I left him at home. He hasn't had much exercise in the last few days, and I thought a frisky dog might not be conducive to the best chess. Mm. Smokey's a good dog. I'm sorry you didn't bring him along. Do you want me to go home and get him? Only take a few minutes to walk around the lagoon and back. Heavens, no. Come along, we'll have a game or two. Although I wonder if I'll give you any competition. Uh, Pardon me for mentioning it, Judge, but uh, you act as though you had something Mm -hmm. on your mind. Anything I can do to help? Uh, I'm afraid not. Sit down, please. (laughs) Maybe there is something you can do for me, is that? Anything at all, Judge Cook. It's Pamela. She's got herself mixed up with some gamblers. Lost a lot of money. Gamblers? Yes. At a place called the Shamrock. You know the spot. Now, wait a minute. Your company owns a lot of property around there. You happen to own the building the Shamrock occupies? Why, uh, yes, Judge. We own that building. Well, that makes it simple. Philip, I want you to evict the tenants immediately. They're using your building for illegal gambling. I can hardly believe that. Uh, You have uh, proof of this, of course? Proof? My man, Mason, is actually running a dice table there in his spare time. So he told me. Hmm. It's amazing. I'll certainly look into it at once. Yeah. You tell them to get out of there right away. Uh, but we would have to have a lot more proof than the mere word of Mason. After all, he is an ex-convict. Oh, what about... Oh. Yes, that's right. That's true. You'd need tangible evidence, possibly even a conviction. Oh, that would help a great deal. All right, I'll get you the evidence you need. I'll get this Kelly and the men behind him. Come on, let's play some chess. Rook, tonight, seven. Checkmate. You got me again. I'm afraid I'm no competition for you tonight, Philip. I don't think you've had your mind on the game, Judge. No, I expect not. Well, I'll be on my way. It's almost 11, and I still have to take Smokey for his walk. Bring him along next time. I will, Judge. Uh, don't be too harsh on Pamela. She's pretty young, you know. She's old enough to have some sense of responsibility. And this time she's going to learn a lesson. Huh. What in the world? Who can that be? Who's
0: out there? Who
1: what are you doing outside the window? Why don't you Oh, oh. Smokey? Here, boy. There's nothing there for you. Here, Smokey. Oh, oh I... I beg your pardon.
6: I think you might at least look where you're going. Oh, it's Mr. Grant.
1: I'm awfully sorry, Mrs. Fall. It's so dark here by the lagoon. I, I didn't see you. I was just calling Smokey. He seems to have strayed.
6: Oh, oh, he's wet. He's gotten me all wet. Make that dog go away.
1: Smokey, behave yourself. I'm terribly sorry, Mrs. Fall. My dress is ruined. Absolutely ruined. I hope it isn't as bad as all that. Well, I guess I know when...
6: Good heavens, what was that?
1: That sounds like Pamela Cook. Did she say the
6: judge had been murdered?
1: Your Honor, I'd like very much to enter this case as amicus curiae. I haven't any objection, Mr. Kegg, but why? Judge Cook was a credit to the bench, and a very good friend of mine as well. I want to be sure his killer is punished. Permission is granted. But ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I will explain that as amicus curiae, Mr. Keg will represent neither the defendant, Frank Mason, nor the prosecution. He will simply use his ability at cross-examination to help the court find the truth. You may proceed, Mr. Keg. I call the defendant, Frank Mason. Mr. Mason, you were employed by Judge Cook as a combination houseman and chauffeur? That's right. For how long? A little better than a year. About 15 months, it was. You had been in prison and were released on parole. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Now, the work you were doing at the Shamrock was a clear violation of that parole. And you know that if a man on parole engages in an illegal activity, he will not only be punished for it, but made to serve out the balance of his time on the previous conviction? I know that, but but there's lots of gambling everywhere. And... But you knew it was illegal? yes. And therefore, you knew that all Judge Cook had to do was tell the parole officer about it, and you would have been back in jail. Well, I I suppose so, but I didn't think the judge would do it. I see. Where were your quarters at the Cook house? I had a room over the garage. Were you there when the shooting took place? I was asleep. Uh, First thing I heard was when she began yelling. Tell me, was there a gun on the premises? Not that I know of. I never saw one. The garage where you slept... Was it on the same side of the house as the window through which Judge was shot? Well, I, I... Answer the question. Was it? Yeah. That's all. Step down. Recall Pamela Cook. Miss Cook, your uncle gave you an allowance? Yes. How much?
7: 500 a month.
1: Now, in spite of this $500 a month allowance... You forged your uncle's name to a check for a $1,000, didn't you?
7: I've explained all that. I had to have the money to pay my gambling losses. It wasn't like stealing. Uncle Edwin could always get it back from my inheritance.
1: But the fact remains that you committed a criminal act in forging that check. What did your uncle say when he found out?
7: I, I don't remember exactly. He was very upset.
1: Did he cut off your allowance?
7: He said something about it.
1: This money came from your father's estate, which your uncle controlled for you? Yes for how long was this arrangement to continue? Would your uncle control that money indefinitely?
7: He could have kept control of it till I was 30, or turn it over to me at his discretion.
1: Well, now that your uncle is dead, who controls this money? I do. And how old are you now, Miss Cook?
7: I'm 23.
1: Did you hear the shot which killed your uncle?
7: No, sir. I, I was up in the attic room listening to the radio.
1: How did you happen to find your uncle?
7: Well, I, I went downstairs later to see if he felt better after his chess game. I, I hoped to reason with him.
1: I see. Was there ever a gun in your house?
7: Well, yes. Uncle Edwin used to keep a pistol.
1: Where did he keep it?
7: Well, he didn't actually keep it himself. He usually had whoever was the houseman at the time keep it.
1: And at the time of his death, the houseman was Mason?
0: Yes. Well, well, there you know
1: that. that is all, Miss Cook. You may step down. It is my understanding, Your Honor, that the murder weapon was not found. No weapon has been placed in evidence, Mr. Cake. If the court please, the gun has not been located. Thank you. I should like to recall Mr. Philip Grant. Mr. Grant, you played chess with Judge Cook the evening he died. How did he seem? He was uh, very upset. Couldn't concentrate on the game at all. Did he tell you why he was upset? Yes, he did. He said Pamela had lost a lot of money gambling and that Mason was responsible. Did he say what he was going to do about it? He said he was going to have Mason put back in jail. (laughs) Is that all he said he was going to do? Well, uh, he said he was planning to have the shamrock closed. And I believe that previous testimony has showed that your company owned the Shamrock. Well, I think this should be made clear. It's true that my company owns the building, but we have nothing to do with the gambling that uh, people say takes place down there. Uh, that's an activity of the people who lease the building. I see. What time did you leave Judge Cook's home the night he was killed? Oh, about 11 o'clock, I believe. When did you return? By 11.30, I thought I heard Pam screaming that her uncle had been uh, murdered, and I went back. What were you doing in the meantime? Walking my dog down by the lagoon. I always take him for a run at night. That lagoon separates your house from the judge's? Yes, sir. Did you see or hear anyone while you were walking? Uh, As a matter of fact, I did. I I bumped into Mrs. Fall. I literally bumped into her. I wasn't watching where I was going. Uh, Who is Mrs. Fall? Uh, Mildred Fall. She lives at the north end of the lagoon, about uh, halfway between the cook place and mine. How soon after you met Mrs. Fall did you hear Pamela Cook scream? Just a few seconds. I was still talking to Mrs. Fall when we heard Pam. Uh, just one more question, Mr. Grant. Do you own a gun? I, I used to. It disappeared some time ago. I don't know what happened to it. I haven't seen it in years. Thank you, Mr. Grant. You've been very helpful. You may step down. Your Honor, I would like to request a recess at this time. For what purpose, Mr. Kegg? The pattern of truth is beginning to emerge, but further testimony is needed. I would like a few hours to check some facts. Then I feel we need the testimony of an innocent bystander. A person who just happened to be nearby when the crime was committed. We will call whomever you wish, Mr. Kegg, and that person must testify. Court will adjourn till two o'clock. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Jonathan Kegg is about to call as his next witness, a person whose only connection with a crime is that of an innocent bystander. If that person were you, could you remember what you have heard? It would be vitally important that you do, or you would
2: hold a life in your hands. That's the first portion of A Life in Your Hands, more after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, this is Carl Amari. These classic radio shows are direct from master recordings and digitally remastered. We license these classic radio shows from the owners and estates for the privilege of using their master recordings as our source material so that we can pass that great sound quality on to you. Oh, you can find classic radio shows sold on the internet from companies that are not authorized to sell them, but you'll often be disappointed by the inferior sound quality. If you enjoy listening to and collecting great sound quality classic radio shows, we We've set up a website just for you at ClassicRadioStore.com so you can enjoy them anytime, anywhere. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com to download your favorites to your smartphone, computer, or any listening device. We offer thousands of digitally remastered classic radio shows, uncut and unedited, including the original commercials, delivered to you instantly via digital download. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com. That's ClassicRadioStore.com. Hi, Carl Amari here for Remind Magazine, America's monthly blast from the past. Each month, Remind Magazine focuses on a pop culture theme from the 1950s through the 1980s, covering a wide spectrum of topics, from Marilyn Monroe to Marilyn Manson. In every 50 plus page issue of Remind Magazine, you'll find dozens of puzzles, movie posters, trivia contests, classic comics, crossword puzzles, vintage advertisements for products from days gone by, and much more. And every issue features my column, Radio 360, where I focus on a celebrity from Hollywood's golden age and write about his or her radio work. And next to my article is the monthly schedule of the classic radio shows I'll be playing each month so you'll never miss your favorites. Remind Magazine is available at Barnes & Noble and Walmart stores throughout the country. But because I write for this magazine, I'll let you in on a little secret. You can get Remind Magazine for about 60% less than the newsstand price by ordering it online at remindmagazine.com. Visit remindmagazine.com and subscribe today. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now back to A Life in Your Hands.
1: It is shortly after two in the afternoon and court has reconvened. Jonathan Kegg has called Mrs. Mildred Fall to the stand. She's been sworn and Jonathan Kegg is just beginning his cross-examination. Mrs. Fall, on the night Judge Cook was murdered, where were you at about 11.30?
6: I was going home along the shore walk.
1: Rather a late hour for a woman to be walking alone in a fairly deserted area.
6: Fiddlesticks. I can take care of myself.
1: I'm sure of that. On your way home, did you meet anyone?
6: I met Mr. Grant. He walked right in me.
1: Now, think carefully, Mrs. Fall. Did you hear or see anything out of the ordinary? No, sir. Did you hear anything like shots? I did not. Did you hear anything at all?
6: Not a sound.
1: All the way home?
6: All the way home.
1: Now, just a moment, Mrs. Fall. Mr. Grant has testified that you and he were talking when Pamela Cook screamed.
6: Oh, that. Uh, I didn't think you were talking about that.
1: You did hear that?
6: Of course I did.
1: But just a moment ago, you testified that you didn't hear anything at all. Certainly nothing unusual all the way home. Would you call a woman screaming murder in the night a usual thing?
6: Well, I really didn't think that... Well, I mean... I understand
1: that... perfectly what you mean, Mrs. Fall. But please don't try to guess what is meant by a question. Just answer factually as best you can remember. I'm sorry. Now, after you heard Pamela scream, what happened?
6: Mr. Grant ran towards the cook house. I waited for a minute and then went on home.
1: Weren't you curious as to what was going on?
6: I was. Frankly, when I heard the word murder, I felt the best place for me was at home.
1: And you saw or heard nothing unusual till you got home?
6: Not a thing, Mr. King. I'm positive.
1: Now, going back to your meeting with Mr. Grant, was there anything unusual about that?
6: Not aside from the fact that he bumped into me.
1: Did you hear anything? Now, think carefully.
6: Honestly, Mr. King, there wasn't a thing. I was walking along rather rapidly. I heard Mr. Grant call to his dog. I heard the dog splashing in the water. I guess both of us were looking for the dog because that's when we bumped. Oh, yes. And then the dog came up and shook himself all over me. I was drenched. And then the girl screamed.
1: Are you sure you heard the dog splashing in the lake?
6: Well, I certainly heard something splashing around. And just a second later, the dog came up, dripping wet.
1: Thank you very much, Mrs. Fall. Your testimony will prove very helpful in aiding us to find the proof. Your Honor, I should like to have a brief recess in order to have Mr. Grant's dog brought into court. And then I should like Mr. Grant to take the stand again. That's a nice dog, Mr. Grant. Oh, thank you. Uh, sit, Smokey. <laughs> Obeys very well. Would you mind telling the court something about him, his breed, his training, and so forth? All right, if you want me to. It strikes me as a little silly. Is this relevant to this case, Mr. Kegg? I assure your honor that I will connect this at the proper time. Well, if you say so, you may proceed. Go ahead, Mr. Grant. I won't bother you with his kennel name. He's a Springer Spaniel, two years old, and answers to Smokey. He's trained to flush birds and retrieve. Unleash him, please. All right. There. Now, with the court's permission, I have a rubber bone here. I'm going to toss it over by the jury box. Now, get it, Smokey. All right, fetch the bone. Go on, Smokey, get it. You're wasting your time, Mr. Cake. He won't budge. So I see. Bailiff, will you please hand me that bone? Thank you. Now, Mr. Grant, will you please throw the bone in the same spot? Very well. There. He budged that time, Mr. Grant. Naturally, that time I threw the bone. Thank you, Mr. Grant. That is all. I believe Officer John Lansing is present in court. I should like to call him as a witness. Officer Lansing... I believe you recovered a gun from the lagoon about an hour ago. Yes, sir. The caliber was 38. That's correct, sir. And that is the caliber of the gun that killed Judge Cook. Was there a serial number on this gun you recovered? And if so, in whose name was it registered? It's registered in the name of Mr. Philip Grant. Were there any fingerprints on this gun? And if so, have they been identified? There were prints on the gun which have been identified as those of Mr. Philip Grant. Has it been established that the bullets that killed Judge Cook came from this gun? According to ballistics, yes, sir.
8: No! No, no! Bailiff, get that man and hold him!
1: Mr. Keck, I don't think I follow all this. Your Honor, thanks to the testimony of Mrs. Mildred Fall, an innocent bystander... Who remembered what she saw and heard, we have found the real murderer, Philip Grant. How did Mrs. Fall's testimony lead you to Grant? Mrs. Fall heard the dog Smokey splashing in the lagoon. A dog doesn't go swimming in a lagoon for no reason when he's out for his nightly walk. Smokey is a retriever, but he will only retrieve for his master, Philip Grant. Therefore, I reasoned that Grant had thrown something into the lagoon at that point. The only thing missing ...was the murder weapon. I see. The reason the dog jumped into the lagoon was... ...he saw his master throw the gun in there. Precisely. That's how I was able to tell the police exactly... ...where to search for the gun during court recess. We have now recovered it. Actually, Philip Grant, in addition to owning the building... ...where the shamrock operated... ...was one of the men behind the gambling. He faced ruin if Judge Cook really began an investigation. So when he left the judge's house... ...he went home... ...got his gun returned, and killed the judge. But now that we have that gun, he will pay the penalty he deserves. Mr. Kegg, that was a highly obscure pattern of evidence, and your solution was most dramatic. Thank you, Mr. Wallace. And once again, a witness who was sure she knew nothing about it held the clues that led us to the truth. Well, I'll see you next week. Good night. Good night, Mr. Keg. Friends, here's a cordial invitation for each of you to be with us next Tuesday when you will again hear Jonathan Keg, created by Earl Stanley Gardner, author of the internationally famous Perry Mason stories and many others. A Life in Your Hands is produced by Jack Simpson and directed by Pat Murphy, script by the McKees with musical effects by Adele Scott, conducted by Whitey Burquist. Jonathan Keg is played by Carlton Cadell, this is Mike Wallace inviting you to be with us again next week. The Aldriches come back Thursday on
2: NBC. And that's A Life in Your Hands from August 29, 1950 with A Judge is Shot. Starring Carlton Cadell with Myron Wallace. You know, good old Mike Wallace doing the announcing on that. Sponsored by Rally Cigarettes, as heard on NBC. Hope you enjoyed a life in your hands. We'll play more of these episodes. Well, before we tune into part one of the Jack Benny program, I do want to remind all of our listeners about something that's going very fast and uh, very good. It is our three surprise boxes. And if people don't know about these... They should go to our website, hollywood360radio.com, because you'll learn all about surprise boxes. Yes, we have a pop-up on
6: our website. Everybody loves the surprise boxes. There are three different types of boxes. There's a classic radio on CD. There's the Twilight Zones on CD. And there's classic TV and movies on DVD. Very good. You get to pick your choice. Uh, they are thirty nine ninety nine, but you get over $150 worth of products, so it's always a... A surprise what you'll get, but everybody loves them, and it's hours and hours of enjoyment that we present to you. We only have so many CDs. We're not making more, so get them while they're last.
2: You know what? I'll tell you what. People have been ordering them and then emailing and texting and saying, if I order more, can I just not get uh, duplicates and things? And I'm trying to work through it with people. Right. But we've been getting so many orders, especially for Surprise Box 1, which is the classic radio shows on CD. But uh, we have Twilight Zone and CD, as you said, and also classic movies and TV on DVD. So three different surprise boxes to learn all about this program. Just go to our website, hollywood360radio.com. When you go there, there will be a pop-up. you learn all about it. Just click on it and read about it. And if you want to order, I am sure you are going to love our Surprise Box Definitely. program. All right, it's time now for Jack Benny. He was uh, really the most beloved comedian of the golden age of radio and TV. And his radio show was so popular. This is a broadcast from September 10th, 1950. His special guest is Alan Young. Here's part one of the Jack Benny program. The Jack Benny program.
5: The program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, and the Sportsman Quartet, and yours, Roley Donald.
4: Uncle Jim, it sure is nice of you to take me on your milk rod I thought you'd get a kick out of it, Elmer Yeah, wait till I get home and tell
9: all the kids in Calabasas yee
4: Shh, not so loud, Elmer People are asleep
9: Asleep? At 11.30?
4: Oh, yeah, this is Beverly Hills Sleep until noon is a privilege reserved for the rich Gee, in Calabasas, if you ain't up by seven, you're a bum <laughs> as I know Oh, well, there's Mr. Benny's house. Whoa, Deborah!
0: Whoa!! <laughs> All
4: right. Come on now, up over the curb. Easy, Deborah. Easy. Ah, there you are.. <laughs> Jim, what did you drive
0: your wagon up here for?
4: Uh, Mr. Benny's gone for the summer. And I pay him 50 cents a week to let my horse graze on his lawn. (laughs) Oh, Oh, he must be back from Europe. There's a milk bottle on the porch with a note in it. I better see what it says. Hmm. Ah, the note's from Mr. Benny. Dear milkman, please leave two quarts of milk. I have just returned from London... Where I was acclaimed the greatest sensation ever to appear at the Palladium Theater in a pint of cream. (laughs) Well, I better find out if they want me to resume regular service. Well, good morning, Rochester. Good morning, Mr. Milkman. Glad to see you back, Rochester. How was your trip to Europe?
8: Oh, wonderful, wonderful. I was in Rome, Venice, Monte Carlo, London, and
4: Paris. Where did you have the best time?
8: Last night on Central Avenue. <laughs> what a party.
4: <laughs> well, tell me, Rochester, was this as big as the farewell party they gave you when you went away?
8: Same one. is still going on. <laughs> no. Yeah. They didn't even miss me. <laughs>
4: I gotta run along now, Rochester I'll continue your regular survey. Thank
8: you See you in a fortnight
0: <laughs>
8: Doggone, it's sure good to be home And I hope it's the last time Mr. Benny drags me to Europe What a trip Everybody else takes the Queen Mary or the Queen Elizabeth But not us We had our choice of the Nina, the Pinto, or the Santa Maria Laughter uh-oh, look what time it is Mr. Billy starts his first program today I better see if he's up Mr. Billy. Mr. Billy. Good
3: morning, Rochester <clears throat> Well, you're dressed already Yes, sir, up dressed and raring to go just think, Rochester, I've been off the air since May, and here it is September. That's a long layoff. It sure is, boss. But it has been a nice vacation. Now it'll be good to get back to my millions of listeners. I wonder what they've been doing all summer.
8: Most of them been swimming the English Channel.
0: <laughs>
3: oh, yes, we almost hit a couple with the Santa Maria. <laughs> Rochester, I better have something to eat before I go to the studio. What have we got in the icebox?
8: Well, there's still a little of that Thanksgiving turkey left.
3: There is? I thought we ate the last of that in Scotland. Didn't we?
8: No, but we had it down thin enough so we can make a wish.
3: Oh, yeah. Well, Rochester, I'll just have some orange juice and a cup of coffee. I'll get it. Oh, it's a long, long time from May to December... And the dough runs short when you reach September. (laughs) La, 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 la. La, 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 la,
5: la. Don! Hello, Jack. Good to see you. Nice, nice to see you, too, Don. Come on in. Oh, just a minute, Jack. Uh, What happened to your lawn? My lawn? I don't know who's been taking care of it, but... Uh, Look at the way the grass is cut. It's so uneven. Hmm. I would get a horse with a tooth missing. (laughs) Come on in. Well, Jack, tell me all about your trip to Europe. Did you have a good time? Oh, it was great, Don. Just wonderful. That's swell. How was your engagement at the Palladium? Were you a big hit? A big hit?
3: Don... Don, you've known me a long time, haven't you? Yes,
5: yes, I have, Jack.
3: And you know that I'm not the kind of a fella who boasts or brags. Well. What? (laughs) Well, what I'm trying to say is, well, Don, my engagement at the Palladium was absolutely sensational.
5: In all modesty, I can say it was a personal triumph. <laughs> well, I, I'm glad to hear that, Jack. You know, a few weeks ago I appeared at the Hollywood Bowl in the Vagabond King, and I was a big hip too. Well, good, good. What part did you play, Don? I was all the king's men. <laughs> 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 Don.
0: <laughs> Don. Melancholy baby. <laughs> Don,
3: I know what you're laughing at, but I still can't. Here's your orange juice, boss. Oh, thanks, Rochester.
0: And I
8: brought what's left of that turkey.
5: Good. But would you like a piece, Don?
8: Oh, no, thanks. That turkey looks awful. If you think it looks bad now, you ought to see his passport picture.
3: <laughs> so what? Who takes a good passport picture? Anyway, Don, I'm glad that you <laughs> Don, I'm glad that you had some work during the summer. Excuse me. Come in. Well, Dennis. Hello, Dennis
4: Hi, Don. Hello, Mr. Benny?
3: Ah, Dennis, it's so good to see you. Gosh, it's been almost four months.
4: Oh, it's good to see you, too, Mr. Benny. Gee,
3: I sure missed you. Well, thanks, Dennis. I've I missed you, too.
9: Gee whiz, I thought you'd never get back.
3: Well, gee, that's sweet, kid. How was
9: your engagement at the Palladium?
3: Oh, it was wonderful, Dennis. Just wonderful.
4: I heard you were a big flop. <laughs>
5: You,
3: you heard I was a flop? Who told you that? My mother. (laughs) Now you're just being ridiculous. How would your mother know? Well, she was the second mate on the Santa Maria. (laughs) Oh, stop. For your information, kid, I was a very big hit at the Palladium. If you don't believe me, ask Don. How would Don know? I told him, that's how. (laughs) Now look, kid, today I'm starting my 19th year in radio. We'll soon be going to the studio. And for once, I'd like to start a program without aggravation. Is that asking too much? Not in a democracy, no. That's not asking too much anywhere. Ah, right, Dennis. Dennis, I told you that I don't want to start out a new season. That's... Come in. Well, look who's here. Hello, Hello Mary. Mary.
0: Hello, fellas.
3: Mary, I thought you were going right to the studio.
9: I was, Jack, but I got to thinking that this is our 19th year on the radio, and, well, I, I thought it would nice if you and I went down together.
5: Oh, that's sweet. Say, Mary, you really look wonderful today, and that cute dress you're wearing.
9: Well, thanks, Don. I bought it for our first program.
5: Oh, oh, when would you buy it?
9: 19 years ago. It's back in style again. <laughs>
3: See, Mary, I'm right. Never throw anything away. <laughs>
9: Say,
5: Mary, you were over in Europe this summer, too, weren't you?
9: Yes, Don, and we had a wonderful time.
5: Jack told us what a big hit he was at the London Palladium.
9: Yes, he was. He did very well. That ain't the way I heard it. I
3: don't care what you heard. Dennis, you should have been there. You would have seen an audience stand up and cheer for ten minutes.
9: When was that? The night the king walked in. (laughs) Yeah,
3: right in the middle of one of my best jokes.
9: Jack. Did you tell the boys what a sensation Phil Harris was?
5: Well... No, Mary, Jack didn't even mention Phil.
9: He didn't? Look, Mary... Then I'll tell you. Phil was absolutely a ride with his songs. He took a dozen encores, and they just wouldn't let him off the stage.
5: Oh, I'm so glad to hear that about Phil. Jack, why didn't you say something about it?
9: Because he's jealous.
5: Now, <laughs> don't be silly.
3: I wasn't jealous of Phil Harris.
9: Then why'd you go around London telling everybody he was Jack the Ripper? <laughs>
3: I just did that for a gag.
9: Some gag. They almost hanged him. That was after he sang That's What I Like About the South.
2: He did the last three choruses with his feet off the ground. (laughs) That's the first portion of the Jack Benny program. More of Hollywood 360 after these words.
1: More Hollywood 360 after these important
2: messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Next time, it's the conclusion to the Jack Benny program. Then we'll tune into Crime and Peter Chambers from 1954. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.